This morning is from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the first 13 verses. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I help you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We put not stumbling block in anyone's path, so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we command ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardship and distresses, in beatings, imprisonment and riots, in hard work, sleepless night and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. Demikianlah sabda Tuhan, this is God's word. If you want to hear this message or, or read it in your mother tongue, it's the opportunity for you to do that now using our translator app. Let's talk about receiving God's grace for real. That's what this passage is about, and perhaps you caught that, that God's grace is not to be received in vain. In our house for Christmas we exchange gifts, and on Christmas Eve, after the service, we go home and our children buy gifts for each other. And it's, it's as a father, it's great to see there's some thoughtfulness put in, into that, for the most part, uh, by, by most of the kids. They're pretty serious about really trying to think about a good gift to give somebody else. One of our children is an avid reader, and so uh, another child purchased a book. Uh, and, and gave that book to, to the reader. Um, <clears throat> uh, unfortunately, it turns out that book has already been read by the reader, uh, and the book still sits where it was left about two weeks ago or something now as well. So as thoughtful and as intentional as that gift was, there's a sense in which it was done in vain because 
it's useless to the person who is receiving it. They've already read the book and apparently have no desire to reread the book anytime soon as well. You might have an idea of what that's like. I'm not sure if you've ever given a thoughtful gift that somebody dismissed. Or perhaps somebody has given you a thoughtful gift that once they leave, you just throw it away. Or you put it on a little shelf labeled white elephant (laughs) gift that you're going to give to somebody else in the future. I mean, that's kind of how it happens. So you get the idea then of a gift that's given and the thoughtfulness behind it that's intended by the person giving it for the receiver to open up, use, enjoy, relish. And this is a picture of God's grace given to us, to all of us. It is a gift given to be enjoyed, to be explored for the rest of our lives. In fact, it's the kind of gift that ought to shape everything about how we think and how we behave. But this Corinthian church, you know, a fairly young group of believers, the uh, letters have already been written and we looked at 1 Corinthians, now he's again reminding them of God's grace, the riches offered in Christ that he paid and given to us, not because we deserve it, but rather because God gives good gifts, that that needs to be explored and experienced or it's in vain, it's useless. And Paul says they are in a position where they may be, unfortunately, not receiving God's grace for real. Perhaps it's vanity and meaningless. And that word and the concept of things being meaningless we've talked about before. There's a whole book in the Old Testament written about somebody who wanted to find out what life was all about. And the contrast between wisdom and the things we ought to do, what's real, is vanity, meaninglessness. Like wind just passing through the air, nothing substantial. And Solomon, this wise individual then, says at the end of the day, at the very end, fearing God and keeping his commandments, that's the duty of man. That's where real joy is discovered. And it anticipates the one who would come and seal that in the person of Christ who is called our wisdom. And Paul talks a lot about wisdom and foolishness back in 1 Corinthians. He says, if you really want to know wisdom, you need to know Christ because he shows and demonstrates what grace is all about. So Paul is inviting this congregation and us as well into a journey where we are on a journey of discovering grace and applying it to our lives. Otherwise, it's completely in vain, and it's not designed to be that way. It is to our detriment if we don't receive God's grace for real. And what does that mean? Now, Paul here, as you can see in verse 1, he says, as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. And if you have uh, a Bible with you, just to remind you, since we took a pretty long break from Corinthians over the Christmas season, just before in chapter 5, starting in verse 20, he, he gives this picture of being an ambassador for Christ. And he says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then he says, as God's fellow workers, we say don't receive God's grace in vain. So at least in the immediate context, as we're looking back, part of receiving God's grace in vain would be not to actually be reconciled to God. 
That's what he says. Now, when we say the word gospel, this is a beautiful picture of it right there in verse 21. God made him who had no sin, that's Christ, took on our sin, and in exchange, he gave us his righteousness. And that is so that we can be in right relationship with God. All the way back in the beginning, you guys know the storyline in the Garden of Eden when man decided to go his own way. We're out of relationship with God, and that distorts absolutely everything. So this is, according to the Bible, the story of every person. We're out of relationship with God. We're not at peace with God until we embrace Christ by faith. We trust that he is the one who is our substitute. We talked about that on Christmas Eve. And then we are right related, rightly related to God. That's a little picture of what it means to be re- reconciled to God. And if you don't grasp the depth of that, then you're receiving God's grace, at least according to Paul, in vain. And I don't think most of us, maybe, if we're serious followers of Christ, want to be able to put ourselves in that category. I am receiving God's grace in vain. No. Of course not. So here's some things. I, you know, there was a comedian who says, you may be a redneck if, and there's some fill in the blanks. You may be receiving God's grace in vain if, for example, you remain in guilt and shame over mistakes from the past. If you are sitting there thinking about failures, even moral failures from the past, and they come again and again and again and assail you, You've received God's grace in vain. What is grace all about? Did you deserve it? Did you earn it? No. So when Satan or even your own conscience comes to you and says, you're an absolute failure and you can't move forward in life, look what you did. You receive God's grace and say no because of Christ. He was made sin and that has been paid for and I am now before God justified, right, with him. You're receiving God's grace in vain if you think it's all about you not being able to receive the full forgiveness of God because you haven't done enough for it. Now maybe you're receiving God's grace in vain if you believe your good works grant you special favor with God. You know, back in the day, uh, and Angel's talked about this, he and I both did evangelism explosion, the diagnostic questions. You know the first one, if you were to die tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven? And you knock on anybody's door and most people are going to say, yeah, at least in the United States of America and certainly down (laughs) south where I was knocking on doors back in the day. Yeah. Now, the next follow-up question is, well, you know, God said, why should I allow you into my heaven? What would you say? And most people say, I haven't killed anybody <laughs> recently or something like that. You know, I mean, like I'm a pretty good person, right? And of course, it's a diagnostic to say, no, you don't get into heaven because of what you've done. It's because of what Christ has done. And you are receiving God's grace in vain if you think somehow it became about you. In the book of Galatians, Paul talks about this. You started in the spirit, now you're trying to win God's approval by doing all these good things. That's not what it's about. One leads to the other for sure. But the foundation, it was so well articulated last week by Alex. The foundation is, you build on a foundation of grace. Otherwise, you've received it in vain. 
You may be receiving God's grace in vain. If you are unapproachable because you're defensive, you know, you've done something wrong and somebody comes to you and all you do is you feel that self-justification and, well, how dare you say that to me? What about you? Let me give a laundry list of all the ways you've disappointed me, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's receiving God's grace in vain because grace is the great leveling ground, right? And if I understand it, and I've, I've, I've just drenched myself in the grace of God, then I can become much more approachable. You know, it's the very end of, of Paul's life in 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 17. He says, I'm the worst of sinners. And as, as some of you heard and know, we've talked about that before. In the beginning of his walk with Christ, he said, you know, I'm, I'm the least of, of the apostles. Twelve venerated individuals. I'll put myself twelfth. Eh, top twelve's not too bad. And then and later he says, I'm least of the saints, all those who are in Christ. At the end of his life, I'm the worst of sinners. Is it because he's become worse, actually? Or he's understood the depths of his sins more profoundly? And because of that, he's appreciated the grace of Christ poured out into his life even more. I would argue that's it. And he's saying that to a younger man, saying, grasp God's grace, not in vain. Maybe you've received God's grace in vain if you say you'll get serious about your relationship with God next week. But Paul doesn't allow that option. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So he's saying real grace that you've really grasped means being reconciled to God. Now, not when I, immediately. It's not as if you have to clean up your act. This is what Christ has come for. But it is receiving it in vain if you're by label only saying that you're a Christian. Or I'll get serious about my relationship in the future. Or I'll finally do business with God at some point. You know, when I was challenged back as a teenager to write a letter and say, just be honest with God, where do you stand with him? That's probably a good exercise. Go home and do that. And, and blow off the dust from your journal that you, know, you started years and years ago. And just answer the, you know, just say, dear God, not me, it's me, Margaret, but dear, <laughs> dear God, here's where I really am. And, and for me, I had to say, I don't really know you, but I want to. And that began my journey of grace. And I still come back to that moment again and again and again. It's the gift that keeps on giving. And you may be receiving God's grace in vain if maybe you refuse to forgive someone else. You're filled with bitterness over what somebody's done to you. It could be a signal that you're holding on to something that is just acid to your soul. In, in Christ, because he's done this comprehensive forgiveness, certainly he's the one who took on even that sin against you. And so you're holding it on to your detriment as well. You may be receiving God's grace in vain if you don't really care about how your thoughts and your actions affect others. If you're not taking into stock, how is, especially if I have the label of Christian, how is that being perceived by the people around me? How am I living it out? 
That's something you have to address. And Paul actually goes there next. That's exactly what he talks about. Look at verse 3. He says, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. So the no stumbling block mentality, maybe that's a 2024 thing. Like I want to consider how if I am identifying myself as a follower of Christ, how am I not putting any stumbling block in anybody's past so that when they look at me, they say, oh, that's what it means? And they say, that's what I thought, a bunch of hypocrites, for example. I mean, you have to address this mentality of, I don't want anybody because of me, not only to discredit what I would say is my ministry, but Christ himself. Paul's very serious about this. You know, back in 1 Corinthians, he addresses this. He talks about this several times in 1 Corinthians and again in the book of Romans about how he attempts, in a sense, to make sure that he's accommodating others to such a degree that his actions are not keeping others from following Christ. That's it. It's not like you have a clear list always of what to do and what not to do. And sometimes that can shift from culture to culture. So in 1 Corinthians 8, as we talked about that, and we said Paul's struggling with whether or not to eat food sacrificed to an idol, that is not a typical American struggle. I don't know. I'm curious. Do any of the Americans, when they go into somebody's house, say, I wonder if this has been offered as a sacrifice to an idol? But I guarantee our Indian friends think about that, and others as well. And there's a concept underneath it of, How do I behave in such a way that the person watching has no stumbling block put in place? You can do that with all kinds of things. And that's the beauty of it, isn't it? You get to do that. That's what we do in community, but also with the wisdom that God has given us as we unpackage the gift of grace as well. The no stumbling block mentality. What can I do to make sure I'm not putting barriers in the way of someone knowing Christ? Are my words or actions causing someone to stumble, maybe to doubt, or even to be turned away? Confess that. Be aware of it. Take that no stumbling block mentality with you in your neighborhood, your place of work, your school, your family, wherever it may be. That's kind of the the negative side, as it were. No, don't do this. But instead, what Paul next talks about is, It's kind of the positive side that instead of putting a stumbling block, we're going to make the most of every opportunity. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. This is just a huge, comprehensive statement. He's going to, this is Paul's Paul's way of just living life. I'm not going to put a stumbling block in somebody else, and instead, I'm going to make every single thing that happens, an opportunity to walk in grace and to demonstrate the reality of my faith in God. And so life in that respect becomes, it just transforms the way you you process through these things. So that's why Paul can be under house arrest in Philippians and, uh, and say, what a great opportunity God has given me to serve somebody else because I wouldn't have access to it otherwise. It's the positive application of no stumbling blocks. It's a holistic, comprehensive way to think about life. Paul's experience of and application of God's grace and the reconciliation that comes from it 
touched on everything. And he's calling us to the same approach. So he catalogs all of these things that have been the case for him and that might be the case for us as well in all the verses that follow. In fact, in these first verses here, he gives examples, just a picture of how he applies that to everything. For him, it's in his approach to trials. In our approach as well. Trials are going to come. Some of them may be specific to faith. Probably more generally, just life. We all have trials. Every single one. And he says, this is an opportunity for you to live out your faith. The grace has been given. In a way that's, that's different. You think about trials differently. I mean, the Bible says a lot about that. The opportunity that you have to trust in God more. Uh, to sort through them just mentally in a way that's very different. Because faith is vibrant and real. At least for him, he says, he commended himself. He shows he's really a servant of God in great endurance. And we've already read in other passages, and he'll talk about it more too, some of the endurance he had to face. He's in a long-distance run here, in troubles, hardships, distresses, beatings, imprisonments, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. That's a pretty broad range. You feel the pangs of hunger, and Paul says that's an opportunity to commend yourself because your reliance is not on bread but on doing God's will. This is an opportunity to show you're a genuine servant of God. So John Wesley, who is a, a person who birthed Methodism, if you've ever been to a Methodist church, the historical roots are, are John Wesley. And he's a really interesting guy in part because he was a missionary before he was a Christian. Did you know you could do that kind of thing? <laughs> he sort of figured it out as he went along the way, but uh, he'd made a missionary trip to, to Georgia from, from England uh, to the coast of the United States and, uh, and then did some work there and then went back before the Aldersgate Chapel experience where he really, really grasped the gospel. So some of this is kind of a slow process of God just revealing himself over time, but on that ship from England to Georgia were a group of people known as the Moravians, and I think I've mentioned them before too, but interesting group of people. I don't know if Mark and Sarah are with us still, but they have their roots in the Czech Republic, actually, where uh, they were driven away uh, and found some uh, safety on a property of somebody in Germany named uh, Count Zinzendorf. Some of you maybe have heard of him. And these Moravian believers who were displaced gathered together on his property. And they had um, just a remarkable work of God in, in their midst. Some, some uh, journals affirm that started by kids, there was a 100-year prayer vigil around the clock on that property. That happened, And as a result of it, they sent more missionaries out to the world than anybody else has in history. In fact, some of those people actually volunteered and became slaves voluntarily. So they would have a voice among the slaves as well. This was God's grace got a hold of them in such a way, such a transformative way that they looked at all of life as an opportunity to live out the grace of God. Completely. It just transformed everything. And there were a group of them going on the same ship in 1736 when John Wesley was making a journey across the ocean. Well, they came across multiple storms, and, uh, and they were all pretty bad, but apparently this, this one was the worst. And this, this is what he says from his journal 
uh, on uh, Friday the, the 23rd, January 23, 1736. Um, no, I'm sorry, on the 25th. This was on a Sunday. He said, at noon, our third storm began. At four, it was more violent than any we had experienced before. Now, indeed, we could say the waves of the sea were mighty and raged horribly. They rose up to the heavens above and claved down to hell beneath. The winds roared round about us. And what I'd never heard before whistled as distinctly as if it had been a human voice. The ship not only rocked to and fro with the utmost violence, but shook and jarred with so unequal grating emotion that one could not but with great difficulty keep one's hold of anything, nor stand a moment without it. And by the way, the person who's translating this notes in the notes below, it's very difficult to read this because the writing is crooked. <laughs> he's, he's like writing it while, while it's going on. Every 10 minutes came a shock against the stern or side of the ship, which one would think would dash the planks in a thousand pieces. And they says, at seven, I went to the Germans. Those are the Moravians. I'd long before observed the great seriousness of their behavior, of their humility they had given a continual proof by performing those servile offices for the other passengers which none of the English would undertake, <laughs> for which they desired and would receive no pay, saying it was good for their proud hearts, and their loving Savior had done more for them. And every day had given them occasion of showing a meekness which no injury could move. If they were pushed, struck, or thrown down, they rose again and went away. But no complaint was found in their mouth. There was now an opportunity of trying whether they were delivered from the spirit of fear as well as from that of pride, anger, and revenge. The sea broke over, split the mainsail in pieces, covered the ship, and poured in between the decks as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English. The Germans looked up and without intermission calmly sang. I asked one of them afterwards, were you not afraid? He answered, I thank God, no. I asked, but were not your women and children afraid? He replied mildly, replied mildly, no, our women and children are not afraid to die. From then, from them, I went to their crying, trembling neighbors and found myself enabled to speak with them in boldness and to point out to them the difference in the hour of trial between him that feareth God and him that feareth him not. At twelve the wind fell. This was the most glorious day I have hitherto seen. The best day that he had on that journey was seeing people in a moment when others were crying out in fear, trusting God calmly in the midst of a trial. I mean, opportunities and when trials come, and they will, to say, God, let me just bask in your grace now and, and use this as an opportunity to rest in it. Now, I could tell other stories in my own life where I've been challenged along that way by others who seem to understand it more in, in a deeper fashion and thank for God's, God's mercy along the way. That's commendable. We, we long to be, in that respect, reflective of this genuine faith. Paul goes on to say, you know, we commend ourselves, not just in our approach to trials, but in our concern for character, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, and the Holy Spirit, and sincere love. These are all attributes, you know, purity, thinking, uh, thinking in a way that is 
that is honoring to others as well as to ourselves and to God. Leaning into understanding, you know, seeking to understand before you're understood, for sure. Being patient and kind. And he, he notes here that really this is kind of a tip to Galatians as well and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that this isn't something you just, this isn't just a self-improvement program. This is generated out of your reliance on the Spirit. But in cooperation with him, we're fellow workers. But God's grace is greater even than our greatest efforts. But you see, if you know that, then you care about these things. And it will seep down into this kind of holistic approach to God's grace penetrating absolutely everything. And we commend ourselves in our reliance on God's power in spiritual weaponry, in truthful speech, he says in verse 7, in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. You want to be a true servant, relying on this grace? Well, then you're going to rest in God's power. There are so, I mean, we've talked about this so many times as well, how little we actually control. And if the God who spoke with one word everything into creation, don't you want to rest in his power instead of yours? I mean, I know some of you can bench press a lot of pounds. But, you know, come on. It's not that impressive. Really. Um, God can do anything. With him, all things are possible. So part of, of, of not, not treating his grace in vain is relying in him, especially in our moments of weakness and trial and, and using the weaponry he's given us. I mean, I know we want to uh, do MMA action and that kind of stuff. Uh, I guess there's a place for that as well. But the weapons of God are not physical in that respect. Now, the right hand and the left and if you're familiar with Ephesians chapter 6 too, you the right hand is kind of the offensive weapon. you got your sword. It's the spirit. It's the word of God. There are offensive things, but then the shield as well as you, you're being attacked. And, and those voices of, of you're, you should be ashamed of yourself because you're not. No, that's the shield. And there's, there's other weaponry as well. But if you are living just a physical life only, then you're not, you've received God's grace in vain. Because that's not what it's about. There's more to it than just that. In fact, if you look back in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, just look at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So the Bible, the viewpoint of the Bible isn't that this material world doesn't matter. It's just not all there is. And on a scale, it's fleeting and it goes away. Therefore, if you're going to engage yourself in walking out this grace, there is weaponry. It's not just physical. It's spiritual, too, and you trust in God's power for that. You know, each one of these could be an individual sermon, but we're moving on. <laughs> Through glory and dishonor, bad report, good report, genuine, and it just gets into this compelling and intriguing story kind of juxtaposition of ideas here. Known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet living on, sorrowful but rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. That sounds like a riddle, <laughs> doesn't it? But what he's saying here is we're living out of the paradoxical upside down kingdom. Now this is, again, a whole additional sermon. But we did do the Sermon on the Mount not that long ago. 
And this is what we're talking about. God's kingdom does not work like the kingdom around us. And so he says, it's just your, your mentality, the way you look at things, God's grace works differently. And in a sense, he says, that proves it's from God. The world and these systems cannot work. And if you're going to rely only on those, you'll get what the world offers. And there are some good things to it, but that's not all. So commit yourself and commend yourself by living in the, this kind of upside-down kingdom, paradoxical. In your sorrow, how can you have joy? Well, just it, it's not dismissing the reality of sorrow, but it's recognizing that it, that sorrow is pointing to something that is broken here that will be healed in the future, maybe in the moment already. You see that? But there's a full and total healing to come. And so if you're in a moment of sorrow and you're a Christian, you know the story's not over yet. You know there's something ahead that's coming, and that brokenness will be redeemed fully. That's paradoxical. That's not the way most people think. It's not the way of the kingdom. Paul says this is an opportunity then for you as, as as a church to the Corinthians, but to us as well, certainly in the year ahead, to live this out. To think this through, the gospel of grace will be vain if we only live in what we can see. Then finally, he talks about our openness and transparency. That part of what it means to experience God's grace and live it out is just to open wide our hearts to be vulnerable. Now, that's a scary thing to do. I think there's wisdom when, when you do it and how you do it for sure. But he says, look, I'm just going to be honest with you. It's the most honest letter he's written. He talks about his struggles. He talks about his disappointments. He talks about his... That's, that's a model, then, he says, of what he wants from them as well. If we can't be open with each other, we can't get anywhere. We can't really know what's happening. And, and there's some... Maybe guardedness to that, if you've been open before and wounded, that makes sense. But for these people, he says, that's not even the case. I'm being open with you, now please be open with me as well. In, in relationship, you can't make a lot of progress without that kind of transparency. And it may be limited to a, to a small scope, but you were designed to be known. I mean, ultimately by God. But that reconciliation with God flows out into reconciliation with others as well. He's writing to a church. The church is not just a concept. It's a group of people gathered together from different places with different ideas. Let's be honest. Let's be transparent. Let's let's admit when you've done or said something hurtful and then that person can come and because grace is real, be able to say, I'm sorry. How can I change? Wow. Just that simple? It can be. It should be. And we know we have somebody working against us in our own sin as well, but Paul says, don't, don't go down that path. Don't, don't do this in vanity. He wants to bring into sharp focus not just a concept of reconciliation, of grace, of being servants, but the details of what that looks like. If you could take a, a, the concept of grace and then begin just kind of a telephoto lens, take a look at it and see and begin to look at what it looks like. That's your opportunity. 
we get to walk out the gospel of grace with each other. And we're supposed to do that. Part of that is being open and transparent and, and, and receiving God's grace, not in vain, the forgiveness that comes from that in relationship with each other. How, how beautiful and dynamic and mysteriously breathtaking walking with God can be. I guess yesterday you guys saw the snow outside. Did, I don't know if it snowed where you were, but you know, about 8.30 when we had the men's ministry thing, it looked like a snow globe outside. I love that. I, I grew up out west. I miss seeing snowstorms. And like some of you probably uh, have seen this before, and this week in particular, I came across a picture of a guy who had done kind of the up-close pictures of snowflakes. And you got this kind of, it's pretty sort of, but just there's just a bunch of snow coming down. Some of them were giant flakes. But then if you could take each one of those flakes and look at it, at the intricate details inside of it, I, I think that's a good picture of what God's inviting us to do in 2024, to look at the grace that he's given us as it applies so intricately to every aspect of our life. Isn't that what Paul's saying? In every way we commend ourselves. Instead of just kind of this giant snowstorm. I mean, here's a picture of one of those things. That's a single snowflake. Doesn't that blow your mind? I had about 20 pictures I wanted to put up here. And every single one of them is different. But I kind of feel like, oh, the grace of God, the reconciliation is kind of like... But, but he wants us to bring it in a tight lens, sharp focus. And see, what does that mean, really, for me and for you and for us? That's where I think Paul's headed here. He's doing that for the Corinthian church, but certainly for us as well. And I don't want us to say, either individually or collectively, that we receive God's grace in vain. May that not be the case for us. Father, I do pray for a year ahead, you know how much I like new starts. And I look back at the past year and I see how I've stumbled and, and fallen perhaps more profoundly. And each one of us is a little bit different, but my own tendency is to beat myself up over that, prevent myself from moving forward. And I pray that I would see uh, in intimate detail the, the beautiful grace of God offered in the person of Christ. And it would so affect me that not only do I understand my peace with you, but I pursue that with others as well. Every opportunity I have, take any stumbling block out of the way. Make it profoundly clear to me and perhaps each one of us who's serious about this where we are putting stumbling blocks in the way and may we make steps to remove those and instead create pathways just like Isaiah 40 looks like. Just make the rough places smooth and we make us aware of that when we face trials when we engage in, 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 in any sort of um, conflict as well, we want to trust in your power and use the right weapons. There's, there's so much here, but we pray that you'd lift out what is most applicable to us and that we would be able to, to rest in, rely on, and enjoy the, the beautiful dimensions of the grace of God that's been offered to us. Father, that's, that's our prayer. So drive it home to us and let us walk in your power by your grace in these days ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're almost done. I know we've gone a little bit longer. We've had a lot happening, but um, I think the best is yet to come. It will, will be brief. I want to do a couple of introductions this morning and, and two. The, the first is if you saw the email message that um, Kara 
Everett, we've hired part-time as youth director to focus especially on our tweens, our teenage girls, and just service projects in general because we see that as a tremendous need. And uh, God brought all these things together very quickly and very obviously. If you don't know who Kara is, there she is. So Kara, if you'd stand up. And she's going to be working with, with us on what that looks like in the days ahead. And we're, we're very, very grateful to, to welcome her to, to the team. And also just some, some new members who've gone through the process. We have Discover Redeemer. We spend about the same time as the Saturday, uh, Saturday seminar talking about what it means just to be part of this church and even to commit to membership. So I want to introduce our new members to you, if you'd come up. Uh, Amir, would you come on up here? Why don't you stand right here-ish? Something like that. Amir Nasser, is that how you say your last name? Okay, good too. He gave me the short version of his name, by God's grace, as well too. And then the Corday family, Kurt and Kayla and little Ruby, come on down. And the Pamela family too, Rambabu, Kirti, and then Sresa and Abi. I don't know, are Sresa and Abi Tutu? See if you can go round them up, Pradeep, so we can have everybody up here. Babu, yeah, just come here, stand here, Kirti. Now, you couldn't get a more beautiful group of people than this, could you, if you just signed up? So I, I want to say I am grateful to each one of you for taking the time to go through the, the membership process, but also just for your contributions here already. I mean, what a, what a gift you are. Um, you each have a very different story. Part of the joy of the process is hearing each other's story, and uh, God brought Amir uh, to us in, in this space and time from Iran, uh, all, uh, Iran, right? How do you say it officially? Iran. Iran. Uh, through California, and, and then now here as well, and the, and the Cordray family has a little closer roots, <laughs> but have relocated recently, and this is a good fit for them. And then Babu and Kirti are here from India uh, in the south. Uh, Babu came maybe a year and a half ago or so. And one of the things that if you've been part of his journey, you know we were praying for is that God would bring his family to him. And here they are, at least in part. The other two are coming in as well. So these are all testimonies to, to God's grace. And we're super grateful that you're willing to take these next steps. They've made a, we've heard their profession of faith and, uh, and they're committing just to, to lean into what God's doing here. So I want to say thank you. I'm going to invite uh, any current uh, or elders. Here's their Shrestha and Abi. Come up with mom and dad here as well. Um, elders Eric, SEJ, is that all who are here today? We're going to lift up uh, your, say a prayer for you. I'm going to get right behind you here too. We're going to lay hands on you and just pray real briefly. Uh, Tony, Tony, Jay, Eric, and then me, okay? Just say brief, brief prayers. Uh, of gratitude and, and committing them to the Lord. We love you, Lord, and uh, we thank you for these new members. We just pray your blessings, grace, mercy on them, and we pray you would guide them in the way they can serve you best in the kingdom and here at Redeemer. Mm -hmm. Thank you for each one of their smiley faces and look forward to how you're going to bless them in this body of Christ. Pray, Father, that you would continue to 
work in their hearts, mm -hmm. continue, Father, to grow closer to you, Father, and continue, Father, to grow in you, mm -hmm. in your sons. What a gift each family is here. We pray that their days here would be marked by um, receiving your grace for real. <laughs> and it would be a time when they look back and they say, we grew in faith during that time. We, we are so grateful we were able to contribute. We felt loved, uh, but also that we had clear pathways to serve in your kingdom. So we thank you for each, each person here and commit them to you and, and pray for a rich time of discovering more about uh, the goodness of God and, and where maybe things get difficult, as they ever do, help us to resolve those matters quickly uh, out of the reconciliation we've received from God. So we speak peace uh, over each of these people and give you thanks for their willingness to identify with this local congregation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So stay up here for a second. I'm going to give you each a, a certificate here. And I know I've been to India enough to know that we Americans do not celebrate things as well as Indians do. We should probably have flowers up here and all kinds of stuff. Amir, sorry about that. And you can distribute that accordingly too. Um, so apologies that it's not a little bit more colorful and, and exciting in that, in that respect. But what we are going to do is have a receiving line and welcome everybody. Uh, but first I'm going to offer uh, a word of benediction. So if you'd stand and receive God's benediction, and then afterwards, even if you're not a member, you just feel like giving a warm handshake, uh, that's great. Um, India, it's more common to go like this, probably. The hug shakes are a little overwhelming. The hug shakes, hand, uh, hugs or whatever. But just follow whatever, whatever seems to be going on there, too. So now, may the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and every day of your lives. And everybody said, amen. So come on up and receive our new members, and we'll see you over at the Redeemer House.